Welcome to Days of Roar, a Detroit Tigers podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorosh. I'm here with Detroit Tigers beat writer Evan Petzl. We're doing a Days of Roar after dark. It's the middle of the night here. It's early. Evan has been traveling all day. Then he went to a baseball game that didn't seem like it was too much fun. And he's been doing a lot of homework today, though. And uh, we'd like to discuss what happened in the last week, which pretty much none of it's been good. So tell us a little bit about your day and where we're standing right now. Let's cover the week, Mark, while we're at it. I mean, it's a, a one in six week for the Tigers since we last were on here. I know we had the emergency pod to talk about the Riley Green injury and the Eduardo Rodriguez injury. But since, you know, the last official Days of Roar podcast, Tigers have been one in six. And it feels like it was just yesterday that they were knocking on the door, you know, vying for first place in the American League Central, making a lot of noise, one game out of 500. Things were looking great for the Tigers. And then suddenly they weren't. And the Tigers have now fallen to third place in the American League Central. They're four games back of the Twins. The Cleveland Guardians just passed them up. They're ahead of them for second place by a half game. And the Tigers are really struggling. They are struggling without their best hitter. And the pitching, while it has hold, where it has held up for the most part, it, it's it's only a question mark going forward with injuries and, and other things like that. But yeah, for me, it was a lot of travel. Um, I went to Chicago and watched the Tigers struggle their way through a three-game series, and it was a it, it was a bizarre series in a way in which there's really no offense from either side, and it was just two bad teams going at it. And the Tigers were the worst team in in all three games. Saturday's game was bizarre in and of itself because all three runs were scored on wild pitches and the game ended with Jose Cisnero getting crossed up with Eric Haas and Cisnero throws a four-seam fastball right at the face mask of the home plate umpire and run trots home. It's a walk-off win for the White Sox. And then Sunday, Alex Lang, who has been lights out, absolutely dominant, he gives up a grand slam in the ninth inning, a walk-off grand slam to Jake Berger. So obviously that whole series just ends on a sour note. Hat tip to Alex Lang, by the way, for being at his locker after the game on Sunday. He said, you know, I'll talk when when times are good. I'll talk when times are bad. So he was uh, pretty reflective on his outing, which a lot of guys don't do that. A lot of guys don't like to talk in those situations. On Saturday, for example, Cisnero did not want to talk after getting crossed up. Eric Haas had to handle that and and take care of it. So, um, you know, tip of the cap to Alex. Joey Wentz, another one, he went on Monday. He was right there at his locker and, and talked after his poor start. His ERA is up above seven through 12 starts. I, I don't know how the Tigers can keep rolling him out there. Uh, I know the again, answer. To, I know the they answer have nobody else. I know it's him or Zach Lowe, right? Um, but no, I had tip to Joey Wentz for that too. I want to I want to hat tip both those guys because it goes a long way um, with us beat writers doing our jobs. But yeah, other than that, I mean, it's it's been a pretty, pretty terrible week to, to say the least. Well, first of all, you know, everybody is going to be good every time out. Alex Lang on <laughs> Sunday, I think you could quickly tell, you know, his pitches have a lot of movement to begin with, and you're going to have it for, you know, once a month, once, you know, or more. I mean, it's kind of amazing with as much movement as he does have that he doesn't have more outings that he struggles to throw strikes, and that's exactly what happened on Sunday. And I just, as great as he's been, I just think you got to eat it. It's part of the season. Um, the Cisnero stuff, 
I don't, I don't have words for that. I, I can't imagine the manager was very happy about that. And uh, <clears throat> it just shouldn't happen in a major league game. I understand pitch con being a problem, but, you know, it's, come on, you, you just, it just can't happen in that situation, period, end of story. You can blame it on whoever you want. Blame it on Cisnero, blame it on Eric Haas, and, you know, how much I love Eric Haas, but, boy, oh, boy, this last month has just been, Brutal. I mean, Eric is really, well, Eric has never been a very good catcher. And when he's hitting, you don't notice it as much, but holy smokes, when he's seven for 60, it's really difficult to watch the defense, the, the stolen bases, the struggle to block pitches, not even going to get into the sequencing part of it, but it, and Jake Rogers uh, hasn't been in there very much either. I mean, the, the, the catching position was the one that we said at the beginning of the year was kind of carrying the offense in a way. And Jake hasn't been in there and neither of them are hitting. It's, it's not good. Yeah. It's obviously there's some things with Jake that obviously AJ and Jake have a weird love hate relationship. Sometimes they get along well, sometimes <laughs> there's some tension would be my nice way of saying it. And uh doesn't seem like they're getting along too well right now. Jakey is not hitting at all. And, you know, they, they miss his defense and miss his leadership. And right now what has often been a kind of uh, secret good position for the Detroit Tigers is kind of like a weird hole of terribleness right now. Like neither catcher's hitting. When Haas catches a lot, the defense gets compromised and it never is a good thing for the pitching. And basically the last week, as much fun as the last official days of Roar was when they were playing great, this week has been one of the worst weeks of the season since the opening week. It's just been a nightmare of horrendous horrendous offense and you know you can only expect your pitching to be great all the time you know pitchers are gonna are gonna have bad days it's it's just the way it goes you know so i wanted to uh to kind of get quickly now that we've kind of recapped the week i wanted to get into the big two pretty quickly so first question of the big two based upon all these injuries, based upon the slumping, based upon the last five hitters in the lineup having a sub-600 OPS today, um, do you think Scott Harris is just going to accept the next 30 days of getting thrashed because he's really going to play a lot of good teams here this month and he's missing his best hitter who makes everyone around him better. He's missing his best pitcher who makes everybody around them better. And he doesn't really have answers of what to do. So I'm going to ask you again, is Scott Harris going to just accept the next 30 days and really do nothing about it? I guess only time will tell. I mean, there's no real way to, to project exactly what's going to happen in the future, but I mean, look, they, they, they could have made roster moves, I think. They could have tried to shuffle some things around and, and found a different star. I mean, I know Drew Hutchinson is out there, and I whatever you think of him is whatever you think of him, but Tyler Alexander is going to start on Tuesday, and they brought Garrett Hill up 
from Triple A to uh, assuming he's going to help out with that game and probably piggyback Alexander. So, I, I mean, I don't know if that's waving the white flag or if that's just, you know, it pays to be on the 40 man sometimes. I think, you know, maybe a little bit of both, but there, there are issues. There are issues when you look up and down the lineup and it, and it's frustrating because sure. Riley green makes this team a lot better, but also it kind of tells you just how good Riley was in may. Does it not? I mean, he, that, that, that's one, one player in this lineup that's different than, than what it used to be. And, and I guess Matt Beerling, you can throw him in that mix too, but you know, I don't, I, I don't know how much of a, I don't know how much the Tigers are hurting without Matt Beerling. I think there's definitely, you know, some presence there, but nothing like Riley green is, is what I'm trying to get at. And yeah, you got Zach McKinstry, Javier Baez, Akil Badu hitting in the three hole, Spencer Torkelson, who I just still, I'm scratching my head at, at, at when is he going to really turn it on? And when is he going to get going? You got Nick Maton who probably should be in triple a Eric Haas, who hasn't been hitting Miguel Cabrera. We know what he is at this point. Andy Abanez, who hasn't been hitting and, and Jake Marisnik, who joined the team basically just because he provides, you know, solid center field defense. And, you know, they feel better about having him around with Veerling being on the injured list. Um, that's, that's kind of your lineup. Like that's what you're rolling out. And you got Jonathan scope coming off the bench. You got Tyler Nevin coming off the bench. Um, Zach short coming off the bench. I mean, this isn't, this isn't a big league team built to win games. So where do you go from here is the biggest question. And that's what Scott Harris is going to have to answer. And I'm telling you, I'm going to be watching, you're going to be watching. And every Tigers fan is going to be watching to see how this guy maneuvers the next 30 days, because you're not going to have Eduardo Rodriguez back, you know, for, for possibly quite some time. He could be out for 10 weeks. You got Riley green and, and the injury was, I guess, you know, taken from a stress fracture down to a stress reaction, which is basically a precursor to a stress fracture. So do with that what you will, but it sounds like four to six weeks. Like that's, that's kind of the, the, the timeline for him to get back. So you're going to be without your best hitter, the guy who carried you. And there are no answers. Like if Cole Keith isn't ready in double a Erie, if Justin Henry Malloy doesn't pick it up, if Parker Meadows doesn't pick it up, um, I understand giving some of those guys a test run. I think that's totally justified at this point. I don't, I don't see any issue with that. Um, but they also got to come up here and produce. That's the other thing. And I guess you never know until you try, but there just aren't answers, Mark. Like that's the problem is there aren't answers. The rotation is in shambles now. I mean, Alex Fido is going to see a finger specialist for a, a hangnail that has, has messed up one of his fingers and, and he's on the 15 day now. Um, it's just, I don't know. You can hope and pray for Tarek Skubal and Matt Manning coming back in early July. Those are, those are things to look forward to in July. You know, Riley green should be able to come back at some point, whether it's at the beginning of the month or towards the middle or, or maybe even towards the end. But at some point he should be back. I guess you can get excited about Matt Beerling coming back in, in, I don't know, probably by the weekend or early next week, but okay. You still got games to play and you got guys that aren't getting it done. I, I think a lot of it, Mark, comes down to you, you need more from Javier Baez and you need more from Spencer Torkelson. We said that um, on the emergency pod. I'm going to say it again now. Those are two guys that just aren't hitting enough. And I think the lineup changes a ton if those two guys are rolling. I don't think Zach McKinstry repeats what he had in May. I don't think Akil Badu repeats what he had in May. So if that's the case, you really need Baez and Torkelson to get going. I don't know if there are a ton of other answers than that. Well, here's what I'm going to tell you, Al. It's uh, 1.24 a.m. when we're recording this, and you and I do like to talk to each other late sometimes, but after that four minutes of recap of <clears throat> all the injuries, the status, and where we're at, I almost feel like 
running to my back door, going in my backyard and rolling around in my backyard on the lawn in the dark because uh, that's kind of how that felt. I should be rolling around on my lawn in the dark at 1.30 in the morning. It was about as depressing as it could have possibly have been. But so, what answers are there? You know, I mean, I mean are, take, take, are, your, take well, your stab at it. If, well, if, if I, Polkeith I isn't I, ready, if Malloy isn't ready, if Meadows isn't ready, if Lipschitz isn't ready, if Winslow Perez isn't ready, and those well, guys aren't options for you this month, what, what else you got? Let's let's get into it. What what I'm going to call it is quickly. Um, let's be blunt. It's pretty much a surrender. It's it's they're basically going. Look, even though these guys are on the forty, I think either we're going to do damage to them, they're not good enough, or we just don't want to take the risk. There's whatever their reasons why, but you know. In two cases, one being Colt Keith, I just, unless he's the most immature human being and just not ready to come up to the major leagues, which is, you know, an assessment that I have absolutely no idea the truth level of and tend to think that that's in no way, shape, or form accurate. Um, the way he's hitting, there's, I just can't understand why they haven't promoted him and at worst made him DH every day. I mean, what, what do they have to lose in that idea? And the fact that Parker Meadows isn't up here platooning with Jake Marisnik, who is a solid 24th, 25th guy on anybody's t- team just for the quality of defense he plays. And he will occasionally run into one, but the fact that they're not getting Parkerson at bats, no matter how poorly he's hitting in Toledo, it's not like he's hitting 200. He's hitting no. 230 to 250. And he, he's not really hitting for a ton of power. But the point is, I can't can't imagine that getting 40 or 50 at bats before Riley Green comes back is a bad thing for Parker Meadows, and then you can send him back. So. Well, I think we're going to figure it out, Mark, really soon because Tigers are going to head home for a weekend series against the D-backs. You got the off day on Thursday. Like if there's time, if there's a time to make a transaction or make a move and get somebody to Detroit that's going to be able to to help. I mean, look, I know we've done this before. We've, we've done this with Cody Clemens. We'll talk about him in a little bit. We've done this with, with you know, Kerry Carpenter and he came up and, and actually produced, right? But like We've done this with guys over and over again where they're supposed to come up and, and save the team. That's not that's not what I'm saying is is required. But if there are going to be moves for some type of optimism, for some type of new opportunity, I mean, it, it, if you're not waving the surrender flag, they got to be up by Friday. You'd have to think, right? I mean, by the time well, the Tigers are more not, 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 just, series. not just that, but let's read something into a few things. Kerry Carpenter's been in Toledo for 10 days. Still isn't He's, throwing. Still doesn't really throw and hasn't hit worth a damn down there. Not not at all. I mean, he, he's hitting, you know, 160. He's really not swinging the bat strikeouts. well. Not, not swinging the bat well, which leads you to believe that whatever happened when he crashed into the wall now over a month ago is probably not healed up in – as much as they wish that he was an alternative, you've got to start wondering, is he an alternative? Okay, which leads you back into the Parker Meadows discussion. So, you know, the answer is, are you going to just take it with a bunch of 4A players who are terrible? 
where you're going to try a few things. And at least if you're losing, you're given opportunity to some guys who are either going to find out that they're vastly overmatched and they learned what they need to work on, or maybe they play better than you think. They're going to go, somebody's going back when Riley comes off the DL in a month anyway. So I, I think you, now the same is true to, for Matt Veerling. I mean, the same is true for Veerling. Someone's got to get going to have to go for him. Well, and look, Matt Veerling, some people like him. Some people are me who don't. He had a 54 WRC plus in the month of May. He's going to be on the team though. Come on. Oh yeah. His defense is, was very good to start the year. It's been slowly deteriorating into a lot of doubles for people that should have been caught when they popped out of his glove and, you know, things like that. But, you know, the bottom line is uh, inaction, lack of depth, lack of preparation to have depth is really hurting them now. You're, Yes, you have three starting pitchers now on the D, four starting pitchers on the DL, and I understand that's a problem. But at the same time, um, from a hitting standpoint, it's been really bad. So I'm going to jump into question number two of the big two, which is does Scott Harris deserve a free pass on last, last offseason? So let's, let's touch on it and let's, let's discuss it. It would have been interesting to know a little bit more about kind of what his – he explained his plan very well, I felt like, just in terms of what he wanted the organization to look like and um, some of the things that they wanted to do moving forward. Obviously, the, the dominate the strike zone thing was was huge. And, and it's um, worked you know, out well. Right, correct. And in, in in acquiring young players, developing young players, and retaining young players, like all those things were uh, very simply laid out. And I thought he did a good job of doing those things in the sense of – getting a younger player in Nick Maton, Matt Veerling, Donnie Sands, Justin Henry Malloy. Like he went out and got those players and he, he talked about getting younger players, trying to develop them and, and then obviously retaining them. So I think just in the general sense of what his plan was, I think he accomplished it. But in terms of the actual pieces that he ended up getting, I think that could be up for debate just based on performance. I mean, that's how the game works. Um, we, we don't, we don't judge things based on, you know, this an idea, we judge it based on, okay, how do you do? How do you perform? Um, and, and so far, those guys have not performed. Uh, Justin Henry Malloy in AAA tore it up early on. He struggled as of late. I don't want to look too deep into that because it's a, a young developing hitter. I'm more interested in guys that are on this roster right now, and that's, you know, Nick Maton and, and Matt Veerling. I will say he did a good job, I think, with the pitching staff bolstering um, giving him some some innings. I mean, you got Matt Boyd, who on a good team is probably a fifth starter. Um, he's asked to do a little bit more here and hasn't been able to hold up to that. Michael Lorenzen has just been brilliant. And that is a perfect example of what he wanted to do um, in terms of just optimizing a guy, right? I mean, they, they simplified everything with him. He was okay last year with the Angels before the injury. He came back after the injury and he changed his pitch mix a little bit, looked a lot better in the final month. Tigers picked him up. They've worked with him even further to simplify things and, and kind of develop certain attack plans and cut down going from a guy who throws seven pitches to primarily throwing four pitches, um, sometimes five pitches, depending on the opponent and the situation. And he's been lights out. He's been fantastic. And I, I you have to 
you, you have to credit the Tigers. You have to credit Michael Lorenzen. I mean, that was that that has proven so far to be a great signing, one that's obviously going to pay dividends at the trade deadline. But outside of Michael Lorenzen, what deals do you really feel like you know worked out for him so far? And also, I think too. You mentioned kind of action and inaction. I mean, there's obviously holes. There isn't enough depth. There aren't any hitters knocking on the door that you're feeling good about calling up and and giving an opportunity. Uh, They called up Reese Olsen because they needed a starting starting pitcher. But aside from Reese Olsen, there's nobody in Toledo. Like there is nobody down there that is worthy of a spot in a big league starting rotation. And Reese Olsen, at the point of being called up, it was kind of actually up in the air. I mean, go look at the numbers. They weren't great. They were turning in the right direction. But there's no one else. And the lineup down there isn't entirely great. It's filled with a ton of prospects. The Tigers clearly aren't ready to call up yet. Um, so, I mean, I guess, I mean, sure. Like, like, do I think that Scott Harris gets a free pass? Like, I don't think anybody gets a free pass. I would be interested to know and I would interesting to hear from him like more bluntly, like what the game plan was. He talked about trying to, you know, be as competitive as possible for as long as possible, you know, in the season. But aside from that, like there really wasn't any indication of, is this going to be a rebuild? Are we going to try to win this year? Do we think we can make a run in a, in what we project to be a weak American league central division, like hearing those kind of comments would have been probably a lot better, both for myself and for fans, to really get an understanding because if he came out there and said, Hey, look, like, you know, this, this is kind of starting from scratch a rebuild. We really got to evaluate and assess. Like it's, it's a different story. I have a different opinion on that. Um, but because he didn't say that, I kind of have to take it as if they were trying to actually do something this year. And if that's the case, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a tough go. All right. Let's have at it. My turn. All <laughs> right. So Michael Lorenzen, outstanding signing, optimized them. I think you and I liked it when they made that signing. We were pretty positive about it when they did it. Two of the, yeah, few, we who, two of the few who were positive about it. Um, and they've done a good job with it. Zach McKinstry, I think our feelings about that, you liked them. I couldn't stand the idea. McKinstry, Jordan Wachinstry has proven me wrong. You I like the idea of and, him, but I didn't. I didn't like the player choice. But I was. Well, I was very wrong. And and by the way, he's arguably been at worst their third best everyday player, and maybe their second best. Okay. So and not only that, how surprisingly solid defensively wherever they've put him has he been not to mention the nine stolen bases he's got a so, strong arm too he's got a strong arm i mean i i don't i don't think he gets enough credit for that can i tell you if he took me in the locker room i'd apologize to him to his face so uh just surprisingly surprisingly good um so once we get past those two moves where are you going what do you do you got a guy in AAA who seems like he can swing the bat a little bit. Not sure where you're going to play him yet. Hit 200 for the month of May. Uh, I still like his bat. I still like his approach, but me too. Kind of work in progress. You know, we got a trade with Philadelphia that on paper seemed like a good idea. In spring training, seemed pretty good. Yeah, Matt Veerling with a 54 WRC plus in May. Uh, and if you look at his raw numbers and you look at all his exit velos, you look at where he hits the ball, you look at what he struggles against, you look at his performance metrics, you look at his production data, 
he looks exactly like he did last year for Philadelphia, which and what frankly, does that tell you? Frankly, is at best the fifth outfielder. So that's a Nick Maton is underperforming what he did last year. Um, once he went around the league one time, they decided to never throw him another fastball again under penalty of death. And uh, he's basically seen 98% breaking balls. I did enjoy him hitting the three-run homer off a hanger to break up a no-hitter off of uh, Aaron Nola today. And, he allowed two strikes in the seventh inning. Yeah. So, I mean, Aaron Nola was just phenomenal He's up until brilliant. that inning. He was just brilliant. And and I will tell you, and I've had other people say this to me, and you even asked me this because you had the same feeling. When he hit it, I think all of us just kind of got a big smile on our face and started laughing because it was like the single most improbable, like putting $5 in in the lottery machine at the supermarket and like $25,000 coming out. It was, it was, it, I think even Aaron Nova <laughs> laughed on the mound. Uh, it, 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 it was, it, 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 it just, Everybody I know chuckled when that happened. It was just the funniest damn thing in the world. The most unexpected, crazy, funny thing ever after feeling like he'd been, you know, 15 for his last 105 with one homer and and he he hits a bomb there. It was just, it was just beyond. But notwithstanding that, so what you have in a trade is, is you have a fifth outfielder, a guy that belongs in Toledo that's hitting 165 in almost 200 at-bats, and Donnie Sands in Toledo, who the day we got him, I watched 35 seconds of him hitting, looked at his chart and went, Evan, this guy is a terrible hitter no matter what they're telling you. And although he's had a good last 45 at-bats in Toledo, he's – Still a terrible hitter. Well, I, I went and I mean, you, you mentioned that, and I went and did the research on it and called up a couple of people and had some conversations. And yeah, I mean, the guy doesn't hit velocity, or at least up until this season. I haven't looked in the, into the data recently, but you know, at the time of the trade, he had not hit velocity at any point in the minor leagues. That's that's not a good sign when you're coming into a, a grown man's league up here in the big leagues where it's basically 95 plus from every single guy. I mean, the guy. Correct. I mean, that's just how it is. So, and then the Mayton thing, you're right. Like he's just been overexposed. I mean, he, he's played 54 games this season. He played 35 games in 2022 and he played 52 games in 2021. He, he's got 150 at bats this season and it was 117 in 2021 and 72 in 2022. I mean, look, the, the, the reigning NL Cy Young winner threw him two fastballs in September last year and and Mayton hit both of them out for home runs and I guarantee you if they face each other tomorrow he wouldn't be throwing him any fastballs because none of the league has thrown him any fastballs like word gets around quick scouting reports are out there and the more that he's played the more that he has been exposed um, because of his flaws now I do appreciate his approach I'm going to say this because I I appreciate his approach because he is trying to lay off you know breakers and he's trying to lay off spin he's trying he is trying and I think and and he's been he has been successful as opposed to a certain stretch in, I think it was about, I think it was like mid-May, maybe early May, mid-May, where he just couldn't lay off anything and it was an absolute disaster. As of recently, he has been better when it comes to drawing walks. The quality of his plate appearance has been better. He's working in deeper counts. 
but still, I mean, and it, he, I mean, there's going to have to be other changes that are going to have to be made. I mean, just, just laying off pitches isn't going to isn't going to isn't going to do it. Like you can't be up here hitting 167. That just doesn't that doesn't work. Correct. Like that's I not a go, thing. I, I want to go over some of the other acquisitions, but first, I want to take a break. We'll be back in a minute. All right, so let's get into some of the other winter acquisitions for, you know, in the big two, the question about should we be questioning the offseason of Scott Harris? So now we have Andy Abanez. How's that working out? Not great, but also at, at what risk? All right, right. We don't need to discuss it too much. There hasn't been too much to discuss. I mean, that's kind of my take on it, right? Is you got him, you got him off waivers from the Rangers, and he's a guy who has hit at this level before. He makes good contact. Like that's something that obviously, you know, Harris he wanted to prioritize. But well, is he had a hundred at bats? He said a hundred at bats. Uh, Ninety-five. You, well, you're using him, okay? Yeah. Uh, how, how about Tyler Nevin? How's that? How's that wrong? Yeah, not great for cash considerations on New Year's Eve. Again, not much of a risk there. He's, he's like, he's, you know, what's he like four for 40 what? Yeah. I mean, it's been a disaster on the field, but my point is just there, there wasn't much risk involved in that, but well, I, yeah, I, four I'm for not, 30, I'm, four for four for 35. Uh, okay. But he's playing. And he's, in, he's playing. Yeah. Right. Well, kind of. Yeah. He's playing. It's an off season acquisition and you're, oh, no doubt. no doubt. You're, you're prioritizing him over other possible alternatives correct okay. no no there's no doubt about that all right so you know the the bottom line of this is is that you understood that you had the weakest offense in major league baseball last year you added five or six players besides zach mckinstry who was added three days before the end of spring training and was three for 32 in spring training okay you really haven't added anything and you have kids in the minor leagues who probably aren't ready to come up here right now but it's not like the people ahead of them are you know young and on the verge and have futures more likely than not you know whether it's matt deerling or nick mayton or tyler nevin Brandy Abanez, uh, or Jake Marisnik, you know, because of injury. Um, none of those guys will actually probably be on the team in 2024 at this point in time next year if they don't all improve pretty substantially. Well, this is my thing, though, Mark, is, he, is, is I think with Scott's big message of creating a culture of development that's been preached by Scott Harris, A.J. Hinch, and that's something that that obviously they value. And I, I think about culture of development, and I, I, I'm looking for where is their development? Like, like that's kind of the thing. Is it? And that's where I think Tyler Nevin becomes relevant. Is you know, has Tyler Nevin developed at the big league level? Have we seen growth and improvement? No, he he, he is worse than he was last year so far. Small sample, sure, but he's worse than he was last year. Andy Abanez, no, let, let me let me let me keep going. Andy Abanez, is he is he better or worse than he was last year? Small sample, but he's been worse. Nick Maton, has he been better? Or has he been worse than he was last year? He's been worse. And Matt Veerling, has he been better? Or has he been worse? About the same. same. 
Spencer Torkelson, has he been better, worse, or about the same? I think he's been a little bit better, but I don't think he's been that much better. I mean, you can kind of go down the list and, and look at who's really improved on this team and who's really, you know, I mean, the culture of development is to, to say it is one thing, but then to do it is another thing. And so when you look up and down the lineup, Zach McKinstry fixed himself, it, it seemed like, by watching, you know, Jose Ramirez and Rafael Devers take batting practice at Comerica Park. You know, Javier Baez has, has not been better than he was last year. I, I do appreciate the play discipline that he showed for a good stretch of time, but he's back to striking out a ton now. It's it's not the same as it was. And and the guy's he's hitting like two nineteen with three home runs, Mark. Like that's not that's not what you want from a guy that you're paying well, as much as you're paying. The, the only thing I can say redeeming about Javier Baez is he's the fourth best defensive shortstop in baseball this year, by you know, any metric you want to measure it. And He's hit about 270 with runners in scoring position, so he has a pretty pretty decent RBI total, and he's done reasonably well with runners in scoring position. Otherwise, he's been an offensive disaster, okay? Um, and he's hitting 219 with a 572 OPS. I mean, for all we want to praise Akil Badu, and he's done a lot of really great things, he's still hitting 244. So well, there's some, there, there's some, there's some, there's some culture of development. I think, I think he's definitely stepped into his role and he's, he's, he's been playing great. Like he's done a great job for the Tigers in May. And I mean, you want to go back and, and look at where he was headed, you know, coming out of last season there. I mean, he didn't make the team out of spring training for a reason. And I mean, I think he's done a pretty good job and, and I don't know if that's testament more to, to him sticking to his approach or him buying into the, the team approach or maybe just figuring out more about himself as a player that he doesn't have to be, you know, a huge power guy to, uh, to tap into some of that power that he does have just kind of naturally. I mean, he can kind of just be himself, draws walks, steal bases, you know, get some timely hits when he needs to. And then, you know, through that, you know, the power is going to come out. I think that's a, that's a good example of someone who's improved a little bit, but kind of up and down across the board. We've seen some improvement in the walk rate. We've seen some improvement in the strikeout rate. Like those are things that you like to see, you know, from a team standpoint that tells you that they're a little bit more locked in on their approach than they were last year. But like player by player, you go down the list and you ask yourself, has this player, you know, developed and, and gotten better? Um, I, I don't really know about that. The only, thing I, a lot of say, the only thing I can say about Akil Badu is just ask him to hit in the three hole. It's just not fair to the kid to be really blunt about it so he's hitting 244 he's walking a, a decent amount he had a good month of may but but who else you got you know you got nobody this is why i asked you the question how was the Cole off Keith would look nice in the three hole how how was the off season that's what no, I, I know you. yeah there's not a lot of depth so um at the end of the day i see a lot of people preaching the patience on scott harris he hasn't had a draft yet and okay i mean it wasn't like San Francisco had great drafts when he was there. It wasn't like the Cubs had great drafts when he was there. So, you know, you can have your expectation. I'm, I'm a prove-it-to-me kind of guy. And as I've said many times on Twitter in the last few days, is Scott Harris getting paid? Because I know he's getting a check twice a month. So if he's getting a check twice a month, it means he had a job to do. You know, his job of talent acquisition, understanding they were deficient offensively, from the moment he got here, he didn't have a problem cutting people pretty quickly, easily identified who to cut, all right, notwithstanding some miracle season that Willie Castro is having in Minnesota, and I'll check back in on that another time. And 
Don't check Jamer's numbers. Yeah, and Jamer, look, I I've discussed that in infinitum. I, I'm not mad about the Jamer Candelario thing. Hats off to him. We'll see how much he gets paid. See how long the contract is, and after how he played last year, I would have done exactly the same thing. And hats off to the guy for having a good season. But but the bottom line is, he just did a horrible job of adding adding talent, adding offense, spending even a little bit of money. You know, guys like even you know Brian Anderson, Jerks and Profar. I mean, there, there's a long line of guys. There are guys that have failed that have been terrible. We like Edwin Rios. He's now in AAA. I mean, but the, the point is, he didn't really make much effort to get stopgap players who might have contributed something offensively. He, you know, took the smartest guy in the room player, always wanted to get the guy that costs nothing, that was at the fringe. And, you know, when you go through and see what the performance numbers are on those type of players, they're 4A players. There may even be AAA players. They're not going to be on the roster for very long. You got no depth to replace them, and you have a horrible offensive product on the field. So let's transition in to the next thing that we really want to talk about, which is uh, talk to me about the historically bad runners in scoring position performance. Well, it's problematic. Um, Riley Green, let's just let's just go right there because Riley Green was actually one of the guys who was getting it done with runners in scoring position. Um, Javier Baez, as you mentioned, getting it done um, as well in that category. But, you know, Riley was hitting 261 with the 370 on base percentage with runners in scoring position. Most of his 12 hits were singles, and he did a great job of passing the baton to the teammates. Like, I think that was one thing that you know, I was able to kind of learn about a little bit more about Riley is um, for as young as he is, like he, he's he's a, he's wise. He is wise when it comes to baseball. Um, he talks a lot uh, about trusting his teammates and you know, his thought process when there are runners in scoring position is, hey, I'm just going to move this guy over so the guy behind me can drive him in. And most of the time, like, that that, that, that would work. Um, you know, he would, he would move him over or he'd drive him in himself. But um, it seemed like they, the Tigers had a good thing going, and when they did, it was when Riley was really cooking in May and Torgelson was playing good ball and Javier Baez was drawing his walks and, and limiting his strikeouts. And that's when they had a good thing going. And I felt like that's when they, you know, kind of hit their peak in terms of, you know, getting runners in when they were in scoring position, but it's been bad. I mean, it's been, it's been historically bad uh, to the point where the Tigers are hitting 207 with runners in scoring position. And you want to look at the historic list dating back to 1901, the 1969 San Diego Padres, they're at the top of that list with a 200 batting average, followed by the 1942 Phillies at 202 and the 1968 Mets at 204. And the Tigers are the next team at 207 with runners in scoring position. Now, I will admit that at the very top of that list is the 2023 San Diego Padres, who have been absolutely terrible with runners in scoring position, but they obviously haven't played a full season yet, neither of the Tigers, so I'm not including them um, kind of from a historical standpoint yet. Um, but they are in that mix as well. They've actually been worse than the Tigers with runners in scoring position somehow, some way. I don't know if that's the Scott Coolbaugh effect or, or what, but yeah, they're not getting it done either. But yeah, the Tigers have been terrible. I mean, they've been one of the worst teams in baseball history with runners in scoring position, and that needs to change. It was interesting hearing Spencer Torkelson's comment on Sunday after he hit the home run. The Tigers, I thought they did a great job of playing small ball, something that they might have to do a little bit more of moving forward just to get the most out of their lineup 
And Akil Badu drops down a bunt, reaches first base, steals second, and that just puts all kind of pressure on the opposing pitcher. And then, then Torkelson unleashes for a two-run home run. And as I asked him about the runners in scoring position situation after the game, and and kind of my question was like, hey, look, like you've had runners in scoring position. Like this this offense has been able to draw walks um, at times, and there have been some guys who've been able to hit. I mean, look at Zach McKinstry. He's how many times has he gotten on base? How many times has he reached second base? I mean, it seems like that's a, a pretty normal occurrence. And Torkelson said, look, we're getting guys on base, we're getting them in scoring position, but I think we can simplify our approach to get those in. Not trying to score two runs, just trying to get one run and just get one guy in. And then the wheels kind of start turning, momentum picks up. And I think that's a lot of what Riley was talking about when he said trust in his teammates, you know, move the runner over, then you drive them in. But yeah, it's been bad. I mean, the Tigers went one for 21 with runners in scoring position in the three-game series sweep against the White Sox. They were one for four with runners in scoring position against the Phillies. It's um, it's a problem area. I mean, again, we talk about a team that's, you know, being able to draw some walks. It's been able to, you know, pick up some hits here and there. They just can't drive guys in. They're not getting the timely hits they need. Well, I took a look before we started the pod and they ranked 29th in run scoring at about 3.6 runs per game. And that's and a big reason why. League average is 4.54. So they're almost a full run below league average in scoring. And it's uh, it's reflected right now. The record's 26 and 31. It's the first time they've been five games below 500 since, I think, May 2nd or May 3rd. 26 and 32. Right. 26 and 32 now. So Mm -hmm. they're six below. So it's probably been five weeks since they've been this far below 500. They're actually now trending backwards. Um, And as far as the offense, I mean, you know, I don't give anybody a pass. If you're getting paid, yeah, I'll give you a pass the first three weeks you're on a job. But if you've done the job before, uh, you need to be doing the job, especially when you get paid a lot of money to do the job and you don't really have a lot of obstacles in front of you. You didn't have contracts to get rid of. Yeah, you got to deal with Scope and Cabrera, but big deal. You got a lot more roster room than that. So the bottom line is they got issues. They got issues that are reflected in run scoring. They got a lot of roster spots open and they got somebody that just did a pretty weak job of creating depth, of finding, uh, any uncovered jewels they got McKinstry and that's been about it everything else has kind of been a failure besides Michael Lorenzo so you can say whatever you want but the job is all about talent evaluation talent acquisition talent development it's not been great um all right so let's talk for a moment at least address what you know, where we're at with some of these injuries, got some bad things, got some things that are maybe a positive. Yeah, the biggest positive is uh, Tarek Skubal started a rehab assignment um, with high A West Michigan. He threw two innings, only threw 12 pitches in that one just to get an up down. That was the big thing that they were concerned about. They just wanted to get him, you know, a, a chance to get up and pitch in the first inning, sit down, get back up and pitch in the second inning. And then after that, he went through a little bit more um, after his after his outing. So it was good to see him back out there. That's obviously um, a big uh, 
a big reason to be excited for the Tigers. I mean, you know you're going to be able to get him back um, likely in early July. Matt Manning, he has a live BP that he's throwing on Wednesday in Philadelphia. And as long as that goes as planned, he will then start a rehab assignment. So it sounds like both of those guys are probably going to be back around the same time. I still think Matt Manning is probably going to be back before Tarek Skubal, just because of the nature of the injuries. Tarek Skubal is coming off of a major arm surgery, whereas Matt Manning, you know, broke a bone in his foot that is now fully healed, and he's kind of chomping at the bit to get going. So those are two positives to look at uh, for the Tigers, especially with their rotation. I think that's kind of where we need to go is just talking about you know the the, the current rotation and the state of it. I mean, you have Alex Fayedo who's out with right middle finger discomfort uh, from a hangnail. Matt Manning obviously had the foot fracture. We know about Tarek Skubal with the left elbow strain and the, the the flexor tendon surgery that he had. Spencer Turnbull is out with neck discomfort. And Casey Mize, obviously, as we know, is has been out and uh, might not be back this year. But you got a lot of pitchers that are down, and you're trying to fill spots in your rotation. The Tigers called up Reese Olsen. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that, Mark. I know what I think about it. Um, they called him up. He made his MLB debut. He took a no-hitter into the sixth inning. The slider and changeup were chef's kiss good. Um, he got a ton of swings and misses. Actually, all of his swings and misses were with the slider and the changeup. Didn't get any swings and misses with the fastball, but he was able to land his fastball for called strikes, which I thought was the key. He had fastball command, and that allowed his slider and changeup to open up. And yeah, I mean, he's going to get the ball again against the Phillies on Wednesday to wrap up the the three game series. I'll be interested to see just as the league makes adjustments against him, how does he adjust back? That's the biggest question for Reese Olsen because teams are going to pick up on him. Teams are going to take a peek at, at what he does well and what he does not do well. And historically, as we know, he throws a ton of spin, but the fastball gets absolutely demolished. So kind of, where do we go from there? It's not just so much that he gets demolished. It's that he gets no swings and misses and he doesn't command it well. Well, when teams hit when teams hit it, they, they hit it for damage. So what I'll say is, is my feelings about Reese Olsen prior to this outing, uh, not real positive. I've never really been a fan. Um, he probably, you know, his, his breaking ball and his changeup were phenomenal. I mean, his change is tremendous. Tunnels out of the same. Uh, arm slot and release point is his fastball. But when you throw 41 fastballs and you get zero swings and misses on your fastball, you're living kind of on the edge of success. Now, if he can keep the ball out of the middle of the plate and at least get enough called strikes to keep people honest and work in his slider and hurts curveball and uh, in his change, you know, there might be something to do. I, I really think the guy's probably a reliever. But hats off to the kid. What a great outing. Um, I worry that the fastball is going to get him in some trouble later. Um, but we don't have much other choice, do we? So No, but also, Mark, you got you to kind of give Chris Fetter a, a, an opportunity here to work with him. And I think Robin Lund, too, with the, the biomechanics. And I know that those are input that, you know, those guys have had dating back to spring training. But I do think that, the secondary stuff is just that good. And if the secondary stuff is just that good, it leads me to believe that there is some way, shape or form that he can survive as 
a solid starter up here at this level. I'm, I'm putting my faith in Reese Olsen at this point, mainly because I'm putting my faith in, in Chris Fetter to, uh, to figure something out. I know he added the sinker that he basically uses your right handers. And that's been a pretty effective pitch for him. I think that pitch has been better than the fastball. Um, maybe he mixes in a cutter at some point. I think that could be another valuable addition for him, but um, one way or the other, yeah, the fastball needs to improve, but the secondary stuff is just so good that, you know, I, I think it's, it's too soon to, to think bullpen. Now, if the fastball doesn't get any better, of course, I, I think that's probably where it goes because the league is going to tee off on that and teams are going to pick up, Hey, this is how his slider spins. This is how his changeup moves. Lay off of it all. Just lay off of everything, sit fastball all day and, and do your best to commit to, to, to a fastball only type game plan. And when that happens, um, he's either going to be walking a ton of guys or he's going to have to throw fastballs inside the strike zone. They're going to get pummeled. So it's, it's a little my, bit of a catch 22 there. Here's my answer. Good stuff is nice, but when you're going out there every five days, you need more than good stuff. You need consistency. You need command. Spencer Turnbull is the poster boy for this issue. <laughs> and in some ways, so is Joey Wentz. Joey Wentz is command and, is just deteriorated and it's it's a discussion for another day kind of learned a few things today about him watching but uh you know i i think reese olsen you know we need to see a few a few more starts all right gotta take our our last break we'll be back in a minute Wanted to talk about Javi for a second. I did a little bit of a dive on what might be a matter with him, aside from the fact he's chasing a little bit and he stopped walking. Yes. Okay, everybody? Yes. Those are issues again. But in, there were always issues. In other reality, he's hitting the ball as hard as he always has. He, his barrel rate is very similar to what it's been. His launch angle is very similar to what it's been. What it's screaming to me is that when you're going to least expect it, and I think it's very soon, he's going to start hitting the ball out of the park like he did last year. And there's no other reason I can give you why he's not hitting the ball out of the park, except it's just, you know, one of those things. There's no data reason why there's no swing issue why it's just not happening and you know Javi Baez is a pretty damn good home run hitter he was not great in the first half of last year and he's he been turned abysmal. It on. he's been abysmal this year but I do think he's going to start hitting the ball out of the ballpark and that would make a huge difference the other thing is yeah Spencer Torkelson Definitely going through it again. Uh, last six, seven, eight games uh, needs to pick it up. He's done this many, many times. He has come out of it pretty quickly this year. Hopefully, he'll come out of it pretty quickly again. All right, I want to take a, at least a couple mailbag questions. Let me try to sort through here, see if we can uh, come up with something to stump the beat writer or get his opinion on. All right, so... Uh, Johnny Maka, uh, at Maka J, what's the organizational plan at third base for this year and beyond? It's a pretty good question. It's a, it's a black hole of uh, performance. So 
What do you think? I think the I think the best plan initially and the kind of the, the go-to game plan coming out of the offseason was um, you know, you knew you had Nick Mayton and you figured that he was gonna be good for you there. That's what the Tigers were betting on. They knew that um they figured they could optimize him and they could make him a, a an everyday player against right-handed hitters. And then when Justin Henry Malloy is ready, then they they kind of figure it out from there. And you know, hopefully Justin Henry Malloy is the you know, everyday third baseman at some point this season. That that's kind of the approach that I got coming into the season. And so far that hasn't been the case. Now Malloy's bounced out to the outfield a little bit, just like the Braves did. Um, I've, I've heard that his third base defense is not good at all. It wasn't great in spring training. So there really isn't an answer. Um, Cole Keith sounds like the answer to me um, from a long-term standpoint, but I can only say that so many times before people probably get tired of me saying that. Um, Cause I do think he's really good. I think he's mature. I think he's, um, about as ready as, uh, as they can be. I mean, again, like if you sure he's young, but Riley was young too. When he came up, Torkelson was young too. When he came up, Bryce Harper was young too. When he came up, I don't want to you know, compare Cole Keith to Bryce Harper, but at the same time, like guys are young, they make their debuts. It happens. It's okay. But there really isn't an answer outside of that. I think they have a, a bunch of guys who, you know, they're hoping can emerge again, Malloy, Maton, Andre Lipsius, even there, there are guys out. that they hope. Pacheco. I mean, yeah, there are guys that they hope that that are going to be able to emerge, but it's it's pinpointing. Okay, who is that guy going to be? And that might take some time to figure out. I don't think they'll have an answer by the end of this season. I don't either. So I think and that's kind of that's kind of scary because you, you kind of hope that they would have had some type of answer at the third base position by the end of the season. I just don't see it happening. Maybe they prove me wrong. That would be nice. But right now, I'm still scratching my head just like everybody else. Yep. All right. Another question from uh, my boy, Field Diamond. Uh, What do you think, what moves Harris, what moves will Scott Harris make in the immediate future? What type of deadline moves you think we got coming up? I think there's no telling what he's going to do in the immediate future. I mean, he went out and got Jake Marisnik kind of on a whim because needed him when Matt Veerling went down and, and figured that Matt Veerling's, you know, outfield defense. Um, obviously the Tigers are, are very high on Matt Veerling as a, an outfield as an outfielder and in, in the defense that he provides out there. Uh, me, not so much, but the Tigers obviously very high on, on Veerling as an outfielder. So they need to go get Marisnik to, to fill the void. So, I mean, I think anything can happen in the short term. I mean, the Tigers need a pitcher. They're rolling out Tyler Alexander, um, to start on Wednesday and they don't really have any, any answers. You would hope that Alex Fido is not going to be down very long and, you know, maybe only has to miss a, miss a, you know, this start and the next start, but still you need a starting pitcher. And, and I don't think you're going to tap into AAA. that rotation down there. Isn't pretty go take a look. So maybe he goes out and, uh, and gets a pitcher. I know Drew Hutchinson's out there. I referenced him twice now in this podcast. Maybe it's time for a reunion. Um, I mean, again, that's a guy who just eats innings for you. I don't think Willie Peralta is in the is in the cards, but Drew Hutchinson nope. maybe. I mean, Drew Hutchinson could make some sense to me. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of in the short term. I think if if Harris does anything, you know, external, it'd be going out and getting a pitcher. I don't I don't really know about going out and getting a a position player right now. Bigger picture trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, about? it's it's Michael Lorenzen is is the the big chip. I mean, they're going to have to figure out a way to move on from Eduardo Rodriguez because I think even with the injury, the way that he pitched to start the season, um, he's a valuable pitcher. I mean, re- regardless, again, I mean, pitching is so highly coveted, and everyone needs pitching and everyone needs good pitching. And he was shown, and he he showed for a, a really strong, a really solid stretch that he can be a, a really good pitcher at this level. 
and he's done it before with the Red Sox. He did it again this season, and they're going to have to figure out a way to offload him in some way. Maybe they're able to work out a, a deal and keep him around, but I don't see that that happening. I think he's uh, he's going to be on his way out one way or the other. That's a hard deal to make, though, because you're going to have a guy who's either going to be injured at the trade deadline or coming back from injury, and that's not always a super easy deal to make, and you're not going to probably get as much as you would like for him because, again, the Tigers understand his value as what he did at the beginning of the season. Other teams look at it as, hey, he's got this opt-out looming. He's coming off an injury. Like, and those are not reasons to, to give up your best of the best prospects. So that'll be fascinating to see how that goes down. But aside from that, Michael Lorenzen, got to deal him. Um, no question about it, in my opinion. And Matthew Boyd, too, deal him as well. And um, obviously ship him off as a fifth starter, if not a fifth starter, a reliable bullpen piece who can throw multiple innings. Those are always valuable. And you always need those because at the end of the season, look, when you know a star gets cut short and the pitcher is able to kind of keep you in it, but they're not able to make it through three and you need someone to bridge that gap, you know, Matt Boyd could be that guy to do it for you. I think there's a lot of value in a pitcher like that, especially when they're, um, when they're good. So right. those are the two that I'm, I'm watching for. People love to bring up Foley and Lang as uh, mm-hmm. trade pieces. Give me your two cents on that. Don't think so. Too valuable. Um, you know, too much time left on their on their contracts, and I just, I just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. Makes zero sense. I mean, at some point in time, the Detroit Tigers actually have to try to be good. And right. And trade. you trade, you trade, you, you trade a reliever when they have a year <clears> left, <throat> two years left, the Soto situation. I mean, obviously the Tigers traded Gregory Soto to the Phillies and, you know, he had a few years left the team control, but he was ARB eligible. I mean, the, these guys are, are at too early of a point in their career where it's, it's worth even thinking about that. That would make no sense to me. Makes, makes no sense to me. All right, let's take one more. We'll run a little long. It's the middle of the night and you and I like staying up late anyway. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Oh, I got a trivia question for you. If the Tigers could add, could acquire a shortstop, uh, whose performance among major league shortstops currently was the fourth best defensive shortstop in baseball. And he had the six most RBIs for shortstops in baseball. Would that be the uh, kind of quality shortstop you'd be interested in acquiring? I'm asking I'm for not- a friend. I'm not the biggest believer in RBIs, but I think you're referencing Javi Baez, correct? I am. Javi Baez, who's hitting 219 with a sub-600 OPS and three home runs. So imagine if he actually hit the ball out of the park a little bit, what kind of year it really would be. So I think sometimes when you don't hit for average or you're a frustrating-looking hitter, that you don't really realize the other attributes somebody brings to the well, table. Look, Mark, Mark, I think also Javi is just better when guys are around him that can hit, when guys are playing well. I mean, when when Riley Green was clicking and when when Spencer Torgelson was clicking, you know, Javi Baez was cutting down on walks. He was driving in runners. I mean, he was he was putting the ball in play. He was putting the ball in play a ton, more than he ever has in his entire career. I think he thrives on situations and, and lineups where guys around him are good. Javi Baez is not a player that carries a team for an entire season. He is not a superstar, but he can be a great player in, in the right lineup. I think there's a lot of Javi Baez hate. I don't agree with it all. He's a very frustrating player. Don't get me wrong. I, I have watched him you know, basically every game for the last 
you know, two seasons. And sure, it makes me want to pull my hair out sometimes because it's like, what are you doing swinging at a, a pitch that's, you know, that far outside? Like, what could you possibly be thinking? I understand, but he's also an electrifying player. And he does thrive on situations where he has guys around him that are producing. And right now there's nobody around him producing. And so I'm, I'm not really expecting Javi Baez to produce. Um, it's, it's the hard part about it. Now he will get hot at some point because he does that. And he's historically done that in July. Um, he's been a, you know, decent in June. It's time. It's time for him to, to click and get going. I think it's coming. He was my, he was my pick to click when we did our, uh, our last podcast last week. Yep. So I got to stick with him. He, I still think there's, I wrote it yesterday. I still think there's a lot of homers about to start raining down and we'll, uh, We'll get an idea of that. All right, it's late. We're going to wrap it up for tonight. I want to remind everybody to uh, please rate, share, comment, subscribe. You can always find this podcast at all the places you find podcasts, but obviously Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, you know, pretty much every place, especially embedded in thefreak.com, every article that Evan Petzold writes. You will find our podcast there. And sometimes you will find it on the front page of the sports page if you just go to freak.com. I'd uh, like to thank our executive producer, sports editor, Kirk Crawford. I'd also like to thank uh, Anjanette Delgado, our other executive producer, and our super great producer, Robin Chan, who always makes us sound much better than we deserve. As usual, I'd like to thank uh, my grandson, Braden Michael Gorosh, who came over to his pop's house this weekend. We had a blast together, went down the slide, played all kinds of games, and his pops had a great time with him. And uh, I would hope that we have a better week this week. Nobody else can get hurt. And for my partner, Evan Petzl, uh, I'm Mark Gorosh in the middle of the night saying, Peace.